When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Where's he? Where's Dan gone again? He's already logged in and out twice. How's things for you, mate? Yeah. Yeah, fine. Fine. We're in Adelaide now. Isn't Adelaide tiny? Yeah. It's yeah, it's pretty now. tiny. It's quite a nice place. I'm a brass pig yet. No, I've been here like 12 hours. What fucking. What do you think I've been doing? <laughs> They're just Go naming every fucking, every fucking bar that you know in Adelaide. Have you been there? Have you been there? Have you been there? <laughs> Go and sit on the brass... No, no, the, the brass pig is not a bar. The brass pig is a genuinely massive brass pig down the middle of whatever that street is. It's a huge one uh, with a great hat shop on it. And it's, uh, it's awesome. It's a really beautiful pig. Fucking fantastic. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given and... Yes, I mean, we thought it might be the case, but disappointingly, England are 1-0 down in the ashes. Can you believe it? In the end, a very comfortable nine-wicket win for Australia, and we'll dissect that with our man on the ground, Stephen Finn, who's down in Australia working for TMS, and um, our man who, if he keeps up his current lifestyle, will be living underground permanently uh, in the next few years, realistically. Stephen Finn and Daniel Norcross. Finney, you, you've moved to Adelaide. How's Adelaide treating you so far? Well, it had been 30-odd degrees every day until we got here. And then naturally, the day that we landed, it decided to get cold and rain all day. This seems to be the case everywhere. We've been in Australia so far, but I can't complain. I've just woken up here and I'm looking out of my hotel window onto my balcony and it's clear blue skies and it looks pretty sunny out there. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be a nice day here, I think. Right. Well, you get no sympathy from me because I played golf in the in the rain all day today. Um, it's going to be absolutely roasting on a couple of days at the cricket. It's going. To, it's probably the England boys would be grateful it's a day nighter. I saw on Friday they're saying thirty seven degrees in Adelaide. It's going to be absolutely roasting, which will play a factor in the game as well. And uh, and Daniel Norcross, how's South London? Well, it's not thirty seven degrees, unfortunately. But um, yeah, Adelaide does that. The, the last Test match England played that in Adelaide. It began really cold. It's like 19 degrees. It pissed down with rain. Uh, but the two days before that, it had been 40 degrees. And there's this fabulous brass pig on their main shopping centre. 
that Phil Brown, the uh, photographer, made me sit on. And I, I singed my testicles sitting on it. It was uh, one of the most painful experiences of my entire natural life. Is that because your balls are so saggy that, they, uh, that <laughs> yeah. they're hanging out your shorts? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. That, that's called a function of age, which if you're lucky enough, you will too experience. And being six foot eight, your balls will probably be around about four feet in pendulosity, which is something I hope I live long enough to see. <laughs> Dan's balls are so saggy. They got sunburned in Adelaide and he was wearing full length jeans. <laughs> yeah. I bought a very, very intriguing cork based hat in Adelaide, actually, with, with Brownie and uh, Henry Moran. But yeah. The, okay, the, can I, can I dispute the word interesting there? I bought a very interesting cork hat in Adelaide. I'll show you it. It's uh, one day. It's, uh, <laughs> I can't it, fucking it is, wait. It's genuinely astonishing. It's sort of like uh, inspired by the art, arts and crafts movement, I think. Um, anyway, uh, what you're what children's Adelaide, arts and crafts. <laughs> William Morris, Finney, William Morris. I, I don't know why Finney pretends to be stupid, by the way, because the, to, this week, during the last test match, he introduced the concept of uh, hegemonic masculinity, which is something that is talked about a great deal by the Marxist economist and thinker Gramsci. He keeps, he keeps these ideas very much under his gigantic hat, doesn't he? I never knew Finney was a Marxist, but it turns out that he is. I, I, I have to say, I tuned into TMS a couple of times overnight and Finney was using vocabulary that he's, he's never used on this podcast. He, he turns it on for the BBC, doesn't he? It's really weird. When you're on the other end of it, you know, and, and, and hearing this shit come out, anarcho-syndicalist communes, I'm so, he's, he's sort of like talking about mind-body dualism, a little bit of Descartes. He's, he's, a, he's the thinker, is our Finney, I tell you. Nominative determinism. All, all these, that. all this stuff. Finny, why are you such a thicko on this podcast? Because I have to provide. Uh, do you know what? It's because I have to stoop to your level. Talking to <laughs> you two actually, it actually makes me incredibly stupid. <laughs> Talking to <laughs> QED. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a beautiful you know, moment. You, well, you adapt. You adapt to your surroundings, don't you? So, so spending 45 minutes a week with you is actually making me dumber. <laughs> Interesting. You adapt to your surroundings. So tell me, what, what is that particular... Where that, Where's that theory come from? Is that... Because uh, you're bound to have an intellectual viewpoint on it. No, well, I, I have to go and do my research because I don't want to quote sources without um, without getting it exactly right. So I'll, um, I'll come back to you next week. Fair enough. Anyway, Just... at Adelaide, essentially... The weather either comes from the north or the south. If it comes from the south, it's fucking freezing. If it comes from the north, it's blisteringly hot. That is the level of insight you're going to get from me. <laughs> it's useful. I'll take that. That's, you know, you've said stupider things. You've, you've said stupider things on this podcast. I'll give you that. Um, now, I, I have to say, it's nice to hear you two hurling abuse at one another because I tuned into TMS in the middle of the night and uh, I kind of, I had a bit of a system. I was sort of watching it on TV till about 2 a.m. Then it would be lunch break. Then I'd get into bed and I'd just chuck my headphones in and sort of sleep like whilst TMS was going on in the background. And I heard you two on one of the early days of the test match being far too polite to one another. Just a really nice jovial, oh, you know, you take you can take it from here, Stephen. Oh, thanks, Daniel. I was like, well, this is disgusting. We posted- yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't like it, but it, it's, it's professionalism and it's the people who actually pay us as opposed to this podcast. So, you know, we have to, isn't that right, Finney? We basically have to play by their rules when they're actually doshing out the cash. 
yeah, you, you toe the party line. I mean, when you're doing something for free, I can say what the fuck I want on this podcast. Exactly, <laughs> Ex- exactly, and and me too. And and that's and that's the jo- that's why we do it. Break me. Well, I was very very pleased when I then tuned in a couple of days later, and the nice cities didn't last long because Dan, you were replacing Finney in the commentary box, and Dan, you reminded Stephen Finn of his World Cup hat trick. Dan, if you could just, for people that didn't hear this exchange, yes. um, can you well, explain I mean, Stephen Finn's World Cup hat-trick, please? Yeah, well, I, I, I'll give you a little bit of the background to it. That Simon Mann very generously asked Finney about what was the, the nice, the, the best way to get someone out. And, of course, Finney was talking about, you know, nicking off, getting caught, at, caught by the keeper, caught at slip, you know, top of off, that kind of thing. And then I was brought in and... I suggested that perhaps Finney's happiest moment might have been when he had someone caught third man, caught long on, and then uh, left-hander slapping it to cover on the edge of, mid-off on the edge of the ring. Uh, and Finney, for some reason, didn't enjoy those wickets as much, but he did like to point out to me that I had failed to get any World Cup hat-trick. I mean, except that I've commentated on three World Cup finals in a row, so that is a hat-trick that you know I'm, I'm happy with. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know whether I'm happier with that than getting somebody caught at third man, caught at long off and slapped to mid off. In What was it, the last over of the innings? The hat-trick against somebody good, though. It's Australia. It yeah, decent. well, yeah. when I tell my grandkid that they were three absolute rasping Yorkers, <laughs> it's going to sound good. The They'll only Englishman to, to take a World Cup hat-trick. They can use Google, Finney. You're, unless your grandchildren are, are deeply, deeply incapable of actually using computers, they will be able to find out. No, I'm going to I'm going to raise my family in a very natural way with no computers, so they can't <laughs> actually question anything that I say. <laughs> oh, like Amish? You're going to like take them to an Amish yeah. commune, like a witness? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're going to live on some some farm in in solitude with no reception. And whatever so, I fucking say is the truth. Just so you can lie about your bowling figures. Just a few Marxist economists, a bit, bit of Gramsci, bit of, maybe a touch of Spinoza and some Erasmus in there. Gonna... Yeah. And then I'll tell them I worked once with this Norcross bloke and he was an absolute prick. And they'll go, yeah, you're right, actually, spot on. Yeah, I can't Google it, so I'll <laughs> take your word for it, Dad. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, it's nice to see you hurling abuse at one, one another again because uh, yeah, I did, it didn't sit well with me at all hearing the niceties between you two. So if you could continue no. uh, criticising one another on TMS, I'd, I'd much appreciate it. Shall we get into the cricket? Must we get into the cricket? Um, oh, where to begin, really? Where to begin? Oh. I, I don't want to just lay into the England team because we, we thought this might be the case. England's batsmen haven't scored many runs for a while. Australia's bowlers are really, really good. All the signs were there. But I, I do think it got off to the worst possible start. Now, the team selection, which people were criticising a lot, I wasn't too bothered by. I'd be a bit of an after-timer if I criticised it now. There's five test matches, back-to-back. They can't play all the bowlers all the time. I could see Dan putting his hands to his head. But I genuinely, I was pleased to see Leach in the side. I was pleased to see Leach in the side. It's only now that he's bowled like a drain, it'd be very easy to go, why was Leach in the side? Look, Broad and Anderson with the two glaring omissions, but I thought Wood and Robinson bowled brilliantly and Wokes, in theory, could provide you a few runs. So I don't hate the team selection. I don't hate it at all. And now that we've lost by nine wickets, it doesn't look great, but that's always going to be the case. But I thought the decision 
to to bat when with all those factors we just discussed. It was probably the greenest the deck ever looked, probably the most overcast conditions. The batsmen, like I said, haven't scored many runs recently. Australia's bowlers are pretty damn good. Finney, I want to ask you about this because I felt like Joe Root, and I would never criticise Joe Root because he single-handedly carries his side, but it's the easy option, is it maybe? As a captain, you know that you're probably not going to get anywhere near as much criticism if you choose to bat as if you do what NASA famously did all those years ago and decide to put them in. Putting somebody in to bat is a riskier call, and if it doesn't work, you look a bit more stupid. If you don't score any runs, then it's, oh, well, the batsman, you know, didn't cash in. Is, is that a fair statement? Is, the, is there a lot more risk as a captain? Oh, look, I, I actually, without seeing the wicket, and it's very hard to criticise or judge the decision when you haven't actually physically been on the pitch and seen it because you just have to rely on what people are saying. But on a morning like that, at a place like the Gabba, where you know that the wicket's not going to be soft for a long time, if that top player was a bit damp and soft, the the reason for batting first isn't because it's a cop-out of a decision. It's because you're looking at your best chance of winning the game. And in those circumstances, my opinion, and I'm of the opinion, I'm with Joe Root, I'd have batted first on that, as would Pat Cummins, incidentally, when he said at the toss, is that when you're bowling on a wicket like that, it takes little indentations. And on the first morning of a game, it tends to happen a lot slower. So the wicket will be slow whilst it's a bit damp. Then as the game goes on and it firms up, the wicket gets quicker. So it's better to bat on days two and three. But days four and five, you start to see uneven bounds. And I think there was enough evidence towards the back end of the game to, to suggest that had England weathered that initial hours or two hours storm on the first morning and posted something that was close to 300, something like that, the if you get 150 or 200 runs ahead in that last innings, then then you're in a very good position to win the game. I think the thing that stitched them up was the fact that they lost those wickets on the first morning. Otherwise, I believe it was the right decision without seeing the wicket. But that's the logic from a from a cricketing point of view. Because if you look too short term and you don't take a wicket in that first hour as a, as a bowling unit, then you're really up against it if you bowl first. Fair enough. And also from Joe Root's point of view, if you do win that toss and put them into bat, uh, we'll come on to this, but seeing your opener go the first ball of the ashes, is it the ideal start if you do make that call at the toss? But we'll, we'll come on to that. But Norcross, you, you you had your head in your hands when I said I wasn't overly fussed about the team. So it's not the team I would have picked incidentally, but I'm not going to criticise it too much because there are five tests to play and everybody's going to have to play at some point. And Leach aside, who I thought was right to play, I thought the other bowlers bowled very well, actually. During this test match, we've been treated to a magnificent podcast by Jonathan Agnew called Project Ashes about how you would plan to win the Ashes and and how long that has been taken and, and behind the scenes look at how England thought they might win the Ashes. And it was kind of fascinating that what they thought might be a good idea in the first test match. And this is one of the seven things that Phil Tufnell thought that England got wrong before a single ball was bowled. <laughs> but seven was what he identified. I only identified about four, but I, I, I tend to agree with him. That you go into that match with the two greatest seam bowlers you've ever had in history. And neither of them plays for the first time in an Ashes test match in 15 years. That 
you play a spinner that you have never used on an English pitch in the last two years. The last two years, he hasn't been picked at home. And you throw the poor bastard in on a green top at Brisbane. You leave out a man who gets out left-handers for fun. And he's had Warner on toast. Now, it looks like hindsight, doesn't it, when Warner gets 94 and Travis Head gets 152. But we were kind of screaming that in the first session of the first day, Tuppers and I and Simon Mann and other people. <laughs> I, don't, I, mean, I don't know who else necessarily on the TV media because we were just commentating it. But it was, it was mind-boggling that Stuart Broad didn't play in that game. Whether Jack Leach plays or not, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's really fair on Jack that he should find himself suddenly playing a test match for the first time in ages in those conditions. That when you look up and you see a cloud as big as Queensland hanging over the top of that pitch and you choose to put out your weaker suit, your batters against their bowlers, where they have had exactly the same bowlers time and time and time again. They've played all of the last series against India. they played all of the last series against England. Come and start Hazelwood and Lyon. And I thought that it, we basically didn't give the weaker components of your team a chance to do well by batting first in those conditions. And that was my, that was my annoyance with the decision to bat first. I get where Finney's coming from, absolutely. And I think if you went out there with Strauss, Cook, Bell, Peterson, Trott, Pryor, Collingwood, Swan, Broad, Anderson and Finn, then you would bat first under those circs and you would you would think you can do that. But England, let's be really clear about this. England have got one batter who averages over 60. They've got one batter who averages over 30 and no one else averages over 30 in that team. And we've got two day-night test matches in this series which is really where England have got a very good chance of competing really well. The opportunity to go into the Brisbane test, which if you remember, Finney was absolutely convinced was going to be rained off when we spoke two weeks ago because there was so much rain around. And there was a and there was rain on that first day. And I know it's really unfair, but on day one, you've got Rory Burns with his foot pointing at extra cover, getting bowled behind his legs under slate grey skies and bowled up ball and four seven. And the next day, we all woke up to discover that Brisbane had the bluest sky you've ever seen in your entire life, the most beautiful batting conditions they could ever be. And you could call it unlucky, but also you could call it intuition. If I, if, if any, I think if you or I were at that toss, <laughs> you'd be going, oh, do I want Burns, Hamid and Milan to go and bat right now against Cummins, Stark and Hazelwood? Or shall I let Wokes Robinson and Broad have a go against Australia. And that's that's all I mean. You know, I can understand why they made that decision. But we said, some of us said at the time, this is absolute lunacy. And it felt like lunacy and it was lunacy. It was unfair on Jack Leach, I thought. It was unfair on England's top order. And I think England would probably have lost the game anyway because Australia are very good at the Gabba. And I think they might be a bit better than England which means that England have got 
to get everything right. They've got to get every decision that they make absolutely right. And that wasn't the right decision. I I, I, I personally agree. I, I did think it was the wrong choice for all the reasons you lifted there. I just uh, listed there. I just thought, you know, whatever, whatever the pitch is saying under underneath foot, it was overcast. It was grey. It was Cummins, Hazelwood and Stark against our very, very struggling top order. So I did think it was the wrong decision. But, Finney, I wanted to ask you, they always say the weather doesn't come into your decision at the toss at all. But I got the impression that the England boys had all seen the same forecast we'd all seen and thought, well, Australia are going to have to bat in the rain the whole time as well because it's going to rain for the next few days. And then, as Dan mentioned, that rain never really came or if it did, it came overnight. And by the time play started, it was actually quite good batting conditions. Do, do you look at the five-day forecast at the toss? Oh, no, to be honest. You... you... Mm do what is presented in front of you, you because you're not in control of how the weather is going to behave in five days time. And generally the same with declarations as well. If you declare believing there's going to be rain then, and then it doesn't come, then you look stupid. So mm. yeah, the weather, it, it's a mild consideration, but I wouldn't say you look at it and then judge what you do at the toss as a result. And I think also like the other thing is like the way that Australia the reason they got so many runs in their first innings is because they um, they executed a perfect game plan to let their left-handers try and hit Jack Leach out of the attack. And and that's not a slight on how he bowled. Like I don't think he bowled shockingly. He just came up against left-handed batters who, on a wicket that was offering no spin or no assistance to him, were able to literally just walk down the wicket and smash him over his head and get him out of the 30, attack. Which He bowled 13 overs. You both 13 overs in the match. And the, the idea that you leave out Stuart Broad, I mean, how, how would any other country take? I, I get it if Anderson and Broad weren't on the tour, Toby. I get it if they weren't actually selected to tour. But if they're actually there, what, what kind of brainiac says, do you know, we're going to leave out the guy. I get what leaving out Anderson. I do. I do understand that. But leaving out Stuart Broad, okay, four left-handers in those conditions, it was, it was about as mad a decision, and it was made out of like stupid number crunching. It was made out of stu- crazy decision making. I mean, I just cannot get my head around it. Still to this day, I. I we spent four days sitting in that room going, "Why? where's Stuart Broad? I am going to play devil's advocate, but I, I, I disagree with you. But I want to hear from Finney first because I know he wants to say something. Yeah, well, also, they, the players got fined 100% of their match fee in the last test because they're overrated. So also, that's also going to have to be a mild consideration as well. If you add another seamer into that mix and you play with five seamers, then... They can't lose any more than 100%, get slower. Though, Finney, can they? They can't lose any more than 100%, can they? Well, no, it's, it's a decent amount of cash to keep losing. <laughs> yeah, but they lost it with they lost it with a spinner. So you know, you might as well. I know you might as well lose. I'm saying your match you... and compete rather than not. Why are you so fucking miserable today, Jesus? <laughs> he is, isn't he's he? Miserable. He's particularly he's fucking moaning the whole today. time. Now, now, <laughs> he's in hindsight. If that's what I, I think. You are being a bit captain hindsight here. Here's what I'm going to say in in, in response to your Stuart Broad. Yeah, thing. I, I can I'm, find you. I can find me actually saying it in the first session of the first day, Toby. That's not hindsight. Don't you turn into Boris Johnson 
who accused Keir Starmer of being Captain Hindsight when he was actually <laughs> Captain Foresight? <laughs> okay, the reason I'm gonna the reason I'm not gonna sl- criticize the team selection is first of all, I did want to see Leach play. That obviously got proven wrong, but at the toss, I was pleased to see Leach in the team. Uh, I thought, in theory, Leach could hold down an end. We could rotate the seamers. By the way, another problem we've not mentioned here is Ben Stokes not bowling well. Did not help England at all. Um, he bowled 14 nobles before he finally bowled uh, you know, David Warner off a different one. But my argument about Stuart Broad is, first of all, he's had a few injuries recently. He's missed cricket recently for England. I assume they've seen him in the nets and what he's doing. Him and James Anderson have a combined age of 74 and they obviously are targeting the pink ball matches. And they've both Anderson and Broad have been injured recently. They've obviously gone, right, they're playing the second test, Adelaide. They're going to play with the pink ball. And, I've, and also, hand on heart, can you say that Stuart Broad or James Anderson would have bowled better than Ollie Robinson and Mark Wood and Chris Wokes? I don't know. I don't no. know if you can. No, but no, but what you can say is that, it, that almost certainly he would have bowled more effectively than Jack Leach on that pitch. I mean, it's what I think you've got to keep on coming back to the idea that if they weren't going to pick Jack Leach in six home matches uh, in the last two series, the last two home series, he hasn't he didn't play in 2020 and 2021 in England. What was it about really grey skies and a really green pitch that made them think? Do you know what? This is the game that we're going to play, Jack Leach. I mean, I just thought that was really unfair on Jack Leach, but for anything else, aside from the lunacy of leaving out a bloke who the last time he's played against Australia has had David Warner on toast, it just it, that that decision alone just seemed completely crazy. I, I genuinely think it came down to them not knowing what they were going to get from Ben Stokes as a bowler and thinking, well, if we can do what if he could do it, maybe not obviously as well, but a swan job of bowling some overs at one end and we can rotate those seamers because we don't know if we can run Ben Stokes yeah, into the ground, I think was a factor. But Finney, when I mentioned Ben Stokes' bowling there, you, you put your hand up as well. Yeah, well, only because it, he got injured, didn't he? I don't, he actually bowled yeah. pretty well. Aside from the nobles, I actually thought his first spell was was pretty good. Um, he caused problems, he bowled Warner, but then he, he jarred his knee whilst running to the boundary, didn't he? Which meant that he couldn't bowl for the rest of that day, which then put more pressure on Wokes Robinson and Wood and whilst the Australians cleverly hit Jack Leach out of the attack because there was minimal risk for their left-handers against the slow left armour it just meant that by the end of the day those three main seamers their their tank was on completely empty Mm. and that was quite obvious and then it was it was going to be a not a procession but Travis Head came in and, and he didn't really get troubled at all because he was batting against three exhausted bowlers Yeah, I mean, he batted. He batted. It was it was an astounding knock, though. At the same time, I mean, yeah, absolutely. We, we yeah, to... I'm not I'm not not playing down the knock, but yeah, he's my captain next year. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> you need to suck up to him, Dad. You need to suck up to it. Now, he, he... third fastest hundred in Nash's history. Third fastest hundred and fifty. I mean, there were there were a few fortunate lucky moments, and he but he, he played a, a couple of shots I've never seen him not even in white ball cricket there was a slash to the offside to a relatively full ball off the back foot that was one of the most wonderful shots you'll ever wish to see I mean it was it was brilliant it was a coming of age knock for Travis Head it was incredible um, I, I mean I, we've talked a bit in uh, recent you know months on this podcast about how um, you know, we all love red ball cricket and test cricket, but how the white ball cricket has actually benefited the excitement of the test game. We've seen some unbelievable run chases on final days. We've seen Stokes at Headingley and the like. Um, it, I, I was watching the way that they batted against Leach and the way that Head batted as well. 
And that was an example where I just thought, felt so sorry for Jack Leach because I don't think 20 years ago, it would be as simple as saying, oh, we'll just hit the spinner out of the attack. But nowadays, if the ball's not turning, these guys can just hit sixes so freely. It looked so easy at times for them to hit Jack Leach over the rope. And, you know, and Travis Head obviously was one of the main benefit, uh, beneficiaries of that. Um, well, let's not just slag off England, or in my case anyway, slag off some of the decisions and Norcross slag off some of the decisions. We've mentioned Travis Head, who was unbelievably impressive. The Aussie bowlers, as they often are, were very, very good as well. Um, but we should mention, and I know he's the pantomime villain, but Nathan Lyon finally took his 400th wicket. And uh, if Jack Leach uh, struggled, well, Nathan Lyon showed what he's all about. I should mention some of the stats around how long it took Nathan Lyon to actually get to 400 wickets is quite impressive. He's um, He was in the 390s for uh, over a 1,000 deliveries. And Ashwin was actually eight behind him when he got to 399 and is now 40 ahead of him. So it's taken some time. But... Um, he has been an unbelievable bowler. I saw a statistic that all other spinners in Australia, you know, the touring spinners, since Nathan Lyon made his debut, are averaging about 60. And there's Nathan Lyon with 400 wickets at just a touch over 30. Um, it's his control of length. And Dominic Best, who's, who's bowling well for the England Lions, could learn a lot from Nathan Lyon, the way that he just he gets that dip and he controls that length so, so well. Uh, Finney, for, 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 you know, an, a regulation off-spinner, which is quite a dying breed at the moment, he's been an amazing servant for that Aussie team, isn't he? And so useful for their pace bowling attack. Yeah, well, it's imperative, really, because you look at when I played in that good England team in 10-11, and Graham Swan did exactly that job, someone who's able to control the scoring rate for 15 or 20 overs on the first day um, on a pitch that isn't spinning is, is an incredible incredible thing I actually thought England played him really well in the in that partnership between Milan and Root in the second innings I think that they actually played him really well because they never let him settle on a length they either swept him or they came down the wicket to him to unsettle him a little bit so he wasn't as effective and then obviously when he got his 400th he then grew in confidence and, and got fourfer but yeah having someone who can do that and he's obviously better than just holding up an end but especially on the first day of a test match in Australia to pull in those numbers over the course of his career is a fantastic achievement and the disparity between his numbers and the overseas spinners I think shows what a good bowler he is yeah I mean we see some of these amazing things you know I mentioned Ashwin there Dan but it's very different as as you know a pretty regulation off spinner when you play your home mm. games at some of the pitches we've we've discussed in Australia I mean amazing also the mental character to have to turn up and bowl on some of those hard flat wickets as well yeah it's, but it's actually so like talking to toughers it's fascinating to when you really look at the way Nathan Lyon bowls he bowls an Australian way as as finger spinner so on those kind of pitches he does something similar, actually, to Jack Leach. He doesn't look for drift, which is what Graham Swan used to do. So his arm would never go over the top of the head. It went slightly round the side, and then it would try to drag the left-hander, for example, out of, their, out of their space. And he doesn't do that. He comes over the top, and he bowls with bounce, which is, for example, the wicket he got with Ollie Pope. You know, Pope thought that he saw a short ball outside the off stump, but he didn't really truly appreciate that it was coming right over the top of Lyon's head, was bouncing off a bouncy pitch and he just and it got big on him. And he seems to bamboozle, uh, I think, people who come to Australia who don't know what finger spin 
over the top finger spin is light on those pitches. Most finger spinners don't bowl like that. They bowl, if you look at Ashwin, you look at Jadeja, you look at actually Jack Leach to a degree, although he goes a little bit over the top of the head. They tend to come slightly more round the side. So they don't get the bounce that the line is getting. And of course, he's a product of his environment. He's an Australian who wants to be a finger spinner bowling on Australian pitches. So how is he going to do that? Uh, the other thing that is really very clear to me about Nathan Lyon is that he looks exactly like about 17 different people who've asked me for a pound uh, Birmingham New Street <laughs> station uh, to go and see their brother. I mean, he, he absolutely is the most extraordinarily haunted looking bloke you've ever <laughs> met in your life. You know, you're out at the station having a fag and Nathan Lyon comes in, hey, give us a quid, I've got to go and see my brother Bruce. And it's... Uh, it's a weird one. It's the entire Australian outfit is filled with weird-faced people. Uh, Labashane, who has the eyes of a mandrill but the face of a rhesus monkey. David Warner, who is the very epitome of, of as I've said before, a warthog. And uh, and you've got the slightly poor Simon Smith. I mean, it's it's essentially like watching Animal Magic with Johnny Morris in the nineteen seventies. It's a weird thing, the Aussie side. <laughs> Another another up to date reference for our young listeners. To... Yeah, well, not not all of them are young. Not all of them are young. You know, you got you got to. There are some the people who got the most money, Toby, are older. So true, essentially, actually. I'm I'm feeding the rich. Not, not on this fucking call. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah, I've, actually, I've, I've been I've been to your gaff. Yeah, I stay corrected. Uh, Stephen Finn, so come on, England. They've got, you know, test starts in a couple of days. It's a nice day night, which I find easier to watch. You wouldn't know being down there. Um, what what have England got to do uh, differently, better? What would you change? What would you not change? How do England go into the third test one all? Oh, they, well, I mean, it's quite obvious. They need to score first inning runs. You can't rely on catching up the game um, once you're behind it, especially over here, because the momentum and the heat and everything just gets on top of you. Um, so yeah, I think whatever they do first, whenever they come to bat, they they have to score first in his runs, and they have to find a way of doing that. I think the way that Root and Milan batted in the second innings, the way that Hasib Hamid batted in both innings, um, and then Pope and Butler in the first innings, the partnership they got, I think that's a good mantra for them to go by as in being slightly proactive, not letting the bowlers just bowl at one batter for overs on end trying to rotate the strike and then put the Aussies back under pressure. Josh Hazelwood not playing is going to be a big a big plus for England because he's a marvellous bowler. But yeah, I think first innings runs have to be the order of the day. And I'm going this afternoon to look at the pitch at the Adelaide Oval. So I um, I shall report back as to as to what I see. But that will also determine how they go about the their team selection. So I think the interesting one is going to be if they decide to play an off-spinner instead of a slow left armour to counteract Australia's left-handers because Don Best bowled a lot in the Lions game this week, uh, which could be a nod towards him getting match practice in order to play in this next Test match to try and counteract the, the left-handers because they won't find it as easy to get an off-spinner as a slow left armour. But um, yeah, who knows? Do you, do you think there's a temptation with the pink ball and also the fact that uh, after seeing what happened to Jack Leach, I know... Obviously, he spins it into the left-handers, but they may just forego a spinner altogether and have root bowl a few overs if, if necessary and go all out seam with the pink ball. I mean, I don't mind that, but the over eight is a big issue mm. if you do that. And yeah, because the 
with the over eight penalties, you lose test match championship points as well, which could be vital when it comes to it uh, further down the line. So I think they'll take that into consideration as well. Sorry, quickly, Dan, because I know you, you want to make a point, but I, I wanted to ask you about the over eight thing because I know whenever you go play any, you know, club cricket, village cricket, whatever it is, the first thing you all say, the biggest cliche in the world when you walk out in the huddle is, let's zip through the overs, let's get mm. round quickly, you know, get the ball into the keeper, you know, blah, 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 blah. I always find at the very low level of cricket that I play that I like the, a good positive over rate. Normally, everyone's a bit more up for it in the field. It feels quite energetic in the field. And I find that our, my team, anyway, that I, all the teams I've played in, play better cricket when the over rate is up, actually, at four, sort of 14 overs an hour. Um, why, are, why are England bowling so slowly? I, I think there's a number of things. They've not spent a day in the field. I think we've actually, because of the result, I think everyone's forgot the fact that they've literally not spent any time in the middle preparing to go and play a test match. And then you're thrust into the gabber in front of 40,000 people and expected to just get up to test match intensity. I think that that's been overlooked actually in since the match. And we spoke about it a bit during the match and in the build-up to the match. But as soon as England haven't played very well, then it's easy to just nail the performances and not try and scratch under the surface. So I think that there is always a period of acclimatisation that it takes. I mean, you saw those bowlers at the end of the day that England bowled the entire day. They were just running on empty. I think Ollie Robinson literally looked empty when he left the field on that day. And trying to get through the overs and conserve energy in that heat, as well as concentrate on your skills and be in the intensity of a test match, is bloody difficult. It's, it's exactly what happened to Australia, isn't it? It's exactly what happened to Australia, actually. In, in, in that 162 run partial, 159 on that night, um, the Australians are knackered. You know, it was that that sort of finished off Hazelwood. He's out of the next test match. And that, that is the blueprint. It, it's keeping guys who've had very little preparation. It's not just England, it's Australia as well. Come in, Hazelwood start. They look absolutely ragged at the end. Of that, of that day, of that third day, that partnership. And that, I guess, is why it's so disappointing, upsetting, enraging, the way England came out on the fourth day, because it sort of felt like they got Australia where you wanted them and you got some tired bowlers and that was the template. It's exactly what Finney was saying. Both sides are in that situation. But, you know, I mean, uh, Adelaide... The issue you've got is, I did the last Adelaide test. I saw, and I've seen day-night tests in Adelaide the last few years. What essentially happens is that the game changes so dramatically when the lights come on, if the ball is in the right condition. If the ball is 60 overs old when the lights come on, which it will be on day one, then it's not so dramatic. What happened to the last Ashes test was that you know Anderson had a new ball under lights because of circumstances in the in the second innings. Somehow, you know the, the perfect game plan is if you can do it, you bat till lunch. You you over, you you win the toss. You bat. You bat till lunch on day two, and then the ball is shiny enough under lights when the lights come on to cause serious damage. Are England good enough to do that? I don't know. Are they good enough to bat? Can they bat? That length of time. The, the, I mean, the fact is, there's no sign, and I hate to say it because I, I'm desperate for England to win this test series, but there's no sign. I, I can't imagine what's going to change in a few days' time. This top order hasn't scored any runs for a very, very long has, time. Has, and they're facing really good bowling attacks. 
Hasib Hamid could. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what Philly thinks, but the the two both innings of Hasib Hamid were perfect for Australian conditions, and he was out in slightly unfortunate ways on both occasions. One was a terrific ball right in the channel that did for him, and the other one was that annoying strangle on the gloves by Stark down the leg side. You kind of you can see somebody who could bat long in Australia in in Hamid. And you, and you can see that also with Milan and with Root. And once that top order bats long, then it actually makes it more possible for the lower order to bat long because that's the point at which you put the miles and the legs of the Australian bowlers and you cause them problems. But that's you've got to get to that stage, haven't you? I mean, in the team that Finney was in in 2010-11, that top order absolutely destroyed Australia's bowlers by batting and batting and batting. But the, the top five were just impeccable, and it meant that that's how that's how they that's how they won the game, really. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they were world class, as we've spoken about here before. That was the other big difference there. Finney, right? So none of us can be accused of being after timers, right? None of us can be accused of being after timers. Not who you think England will pick, but if everyone's fit and ready to go, you're the selector. Come on, give us your eleven for the next test. Fuck me. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the same, the same batting lineup down to seven. Yeah, and then I'd probably go. I would go probably maybe Bess, Broad, Robinson, Anderson. I think because I mean Mark Wood's going to be an important component of this series and. Um, his pace through the entire test match, even when he was absolutely knackered and bowled that flat one, um, he his pace was was up above 144 kilometres an hour the entire time. But asking him to do that five back-to-back test matches in a row is very, very unrealistic and unreasonable. And he'll snap like any bowler in the world mm. will snap if you ask him to do that um, at the intensity that he does it. So I think he will need a break. Um, I think, yeah, Anderson comes in for uh, Wokes just because he's Anderson. I think Robinson actually bowled really well, I thought, with not much yeah. luck. Um, and then you need the extra batting because if, if Leach plays, um, then I think uh, then the batting's too weak. Um, and so it, for me, it's a toss-up between Bess and Wokes for that last spot. And I, I think it will depend very much on the conditions that they see in front of them. If Wokes does play, Joe Root's going to have to be prepared to bowl 20 overs in the innings. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I would exactly, I'd go Wokes, but like say, I haven't seen the pitch yet, but I'd put exactly the same team. Norcross? Uh, yeah, Wokes has got to play. Wokes has got to play at Adelaide. He's, he's, um, he, it's an ideal place for him to be. Now, if it's 37 degrees, it won't be ideal for the first two sessions, he'll he'll struggle. Everyone will struggle, and Bess would struggle. Quite frankly, Every, it'll be a difficult to bowl at Adelaide under thirty-seven degree heat uh, with the sun out and the pink ball in the first two sessions. Uh, but you, for me, you've got to play England. And now at a stage, they're one 0 down. They've got to play Broad and Anderson. I agree. Wood can't really play this game. It's nice the idea of trying to hit the same spot on David Warner's ribs as he did before just to see if they finally break this time and take him out of the rest of the series but that's probably asking a bit much 
so no, I would I would go with that. And Wokes gives you the the, the depth in batting. Uh, Root to roll some overs definitely if need be. That's yeah, that's going to yeah. be the way forward. I mean, it, it's the, the the problem though is not really the bowling attack. It's whether the top seven can actually put miles into the Australian bowlers' legs mm. and compete because that's how you compete in Australia. You, you compete where 400 competes against 400. Yeah. That's statistically how you survive. You don't survive with 400 playing 150. Then, you, then you're screwed. Well, it'll be interesting to see what England do. That's uh, why I'm, I don't envy their position having to pick an 11 for five very close together test matches. Well, I think England, England are going to win it. It's going to be one all when we chat this time next week. Piece of piss. Happy days. No questions asked. Finney, you go and enjoy Adelaide, mate, and uh, burn your testicles on a brass pig or whatever it is that Norcross gets into when he's down there. Uh, and lovely to see you both. And, we, and we'll chat when England have won the second test. Well, it's a foregone conclusion. That's why they left Broad out the first one. So it would say they would win this one. Genius. Chaps, all the best. Yeah, yep. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.